I will just uh, come in with a, a little bit of a, of an intro, um, much to Ari's chagrin. <laughs> um, then Ari and I will just introduce ourselves in the normal way that we do, and then I will uh, I will bring you on with a, you know an appropriate amount of fanfare. Perfect. Also, I love Ari's chagrin. Sounds like a Sounds like a bad curve on like a mountainous highway or something. Of like, be careful. Of, <laughs> when you make get sure you Ari's slow chagrin. down around Ari's uh, chagrin. Yeah, you definitely don't want to approach Ari's chagrin without a sherpa. <laughs> well, now that you've mentioned that, I like my, my new goal in life is to get a mountain pass named Ari's chagrin after thank you, myself. Thank you. Specifically after a disaster that happened there. Yeah, unfortunately, Ari, I think the only way to have a mountain pass named after you is for you to perish there. <laughs> I mean, what I'll have to do is I'll have to go perish there and leave a note that says, much to my chagrin. You kids aren't going up to Ari's chagrin, are you? <laughs> <laughs> we are, because we're young and we're going to live forever. <laughs> I have to thank all the Sherpas that got me to where I am today. Imperial fleet! There, there are too many of them! We have to retreat! I hate to admit it, Colonel. I think you're right. I'm sorry, sir. I know that. Or excuse, excuse me. Excuse me, I mean I mean ma'am. I'm sorry, ma'am. Even now in the year 2052, I, I still struggle with the with the pronouns sometimes. It's quite alright, Colonel. You've got a lot on your plate. I didn't want to lose the valley. This is so long. <laughs> I didn't realize no, you had a story. It's this going one. somewhere. It's going somewhere. I, I trust you. I trust you. Colonel, Colonel, tell me, where, where's Ari? Did Ari? Did Ari make it out? I don't. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't see them. Ari. Yes. <laughs> Ari. Ari. Oh, thank God. Thank God you're okay. In a manner of speaking, of course, God has clearly forsaken us. Oh, but you're, you're bleeding. <laughs> Why? Come here. Come here. What Come the, here. I don't understand. Ari, listen. Yes. Okay, I'm bleeding really, it's really bad, Doc. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have started that podcast, Ari. The podcast that began the chain of events that led to this dreaded war. If only I had known, I wouldn't have dragged you into this. And I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And it all started with that one episode. Yes, our guest, our, our first guest spot. We were so excited, so we naive. It was gonna, we thought it was going to change everything, and it did. Close your eyes. Let the darkness take you away. I'm bleeding, but it's not that bad. 30 years earlier. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Yes Androgyny. <laughs> this <laughs> is the podcast where... The only one. Uh, 
This is, well, as far as I know, um, I've done a little bit of research of the competitors. And as far as I can tell, this is the podcast where two queer improvisers and best friends since middle school uh, sit down together, drink some tea, and have loose conversations surrounding self-expression and identity and uh, try to uh, untangle the complicated web of feelings that <laughs> that they've been ignoring up until very recently living inside of them. Uh, and then they use those conversations to uh, generate a little bit of improv comedy. Riveting. And, you know, maybe sometimes they're joined by a, a, a third individual. I don't know. The format is, is loose. It's malleable. Who knows? My name is Charlie. I use they, she pronouns. And with me, as always, is my beloved friend and partner in crime. Ari, hello. My name is Ari, and I go by he, they pronouns. Every single time you introduce me, I keep thinking you're going to say my name. And I like with me is my humble host. And then it's this pause. And then I'm like, oh, oh, that's me. I'm the humble it's host. Yes, it's really never happened. Humble. It's never happened because we're a podcast about people speaking for themselves. Um, and I just think that's important to to stand behind. So this is a very special episode. This is an episode where, well, first of all, we, we've decided to call this the beginning of season two of the show. Because whatever, you, you if you want to... If you want to hear all the reasons that I hate my own podcast, you can listen to the previous episode, the season one finale. But the time of looking back is over. It's time to look forward. It's pod girl summer and it's a new season of the show. And this season, we're going to emphasize just the fun and joy and silliness of being together and doing what we love, which happens to be improv comedy. Sorry. <laughs> and and I will say, we've gotten good feedback on the show from people we know. There's been one sort of consistent thing, though, that we've been told by a lot of people, my mother, chief among them, which is um, just uh, why do you do improv in this show? <laughs> like... We sit for, you know, the first half, and it often goes to a very emotional place, talking about identity, and suddenly a trumpet plays, and then suddenly this is an improv scene. What's that about? Yeah, what, it, what, why do you uh, attach just a tonally jarring, ridiculous improv set onto what is otherwise, like, a perfectly decent show about queer joy? And, um, that's a good question. It's not just because of the pun title. That is part of it, though. That is a huge part of it. Majority. <laughs> I really, I, I want to address my critics head on. And so I want to <laughs> address my critics head on. So I brought someone else to do it for me. <laughs> yes. I, I brought in uh, the Terminator. I wanted to talk to, I've wanted to talk to this person for a very long time. And I'm very excited to uh, hear about his perspective on improv and why improv is fun and good, actually, and not just the, the cringy memes that it sometimes is reduced to. And uh, yeah, so without further ado, uh, I want to introduce the inimitable Adel Rafai. Thank you all so much for having me on. 
Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> I had to hold my tongue. The 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 uh, intro when you were doing some improv, which was uh, very nice, by the way. Uh, I love that it was. It reminded me almost of the very end of Back to the Future, where Doc Brown is like, "It's not you, Marty. It's your podcast." It's your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> And then I, I'm there, and it's like, no, it involves him, too. Yeah, he's got to come, too. No, oh, Ari, too. Ari has to definitely come as well. And then right. the he's also one, they realized out. it was yeah. a mistake to bring me, so just knock me out for the whole thing. That's right. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Put me back in the closet again. Just put me in. <laughs> and then, of course, I run into one of my myriad high school bullies. He steals mm-hmm, my mm-hmm. time machine. I mean, it all uh, tracks. Have, we've all been there. Isn't the sort of arc of all of our stories basically Back to the Future 1, 2, 3? I know I'm currently in the Wild West. <laughs> yeah. I know that. Yeah, the, the last third is always slightly disappointing, but also, you know, at least somewhat pretty emotional, pretty, char- pretty character-based. I feel like yeah. we can never get back to the perfection of the first third. <laughs> I'm very impressed by your, uh, your steam-powered microphone setup. Thank you. Thank you. I had to make do with what I had. This is, this is actually a Segura Cactus. I hollowed out a Segura Cactus. Segura? Segura? A Tom Segura cactus. Yes, and uh, yeah. I mean, I can see by the wooden roof above you that you are in a you are in a cabin, most likely a, yes. far, a barn off to the side where that you know you've hidden your setup. Yeah, and it's a little awkward because this is my great grandpa's cabin, so and he looks just like me, but in a weird little bowler hat. So it's yeah, we're having fun. <laughs> We're having fun. That's what matters. It's weird when you realize that your relatives are. I don't even know what I mean by this, but played by the same actor who played you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they look really, really similar. Um, that would be so. That would be haunting if, if like one day your your family brought out like here's uh, here's your great grandparents, whatever, and it's just like looks it's, exactly like it's you. Just you. That'd be chilling. Yeah, and you have like you can see that like they look they they're wearing like the same like lapel as you, and they look a little yeah. astonished. <laughs> they even have the same little scar on their wrist. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, we, look, we're making a mistake here. We're letting the improv creep into the first half of the show, which is absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's the kind of mold breaking that we've come, you know, I've come to expect from you, uh, Mr. Refai. But uh, I, I do want to make sure we have time to just to talk about improv itself. And yeah. uh, I, I think to, the place to start really is I would just love for you to tell us a little bit about like your love story with improv. Yeah. Um, like why, you know, how did you guys meet? Uh, why, why did, why did you swipe right on long form improv yeah. comedy? Well, she was sitting at a table. I said, yes, she said, and our eyes met and locked. <laughs> then we zip zap zopped all night long. That's a little graphic, but <laughs> Actually, I only got the zip zap. <laughs> zop, zop is the Wild West third act of the zip zap. Yeah. You, you don't get there until the very end. You got to really know what you're doing. Yeah. Down there. Um, yeah. So I was. I went to Illinois State University College, um, a very nice state school. I went there for theater because my sister was involved in theater in high school. She was older than me, and of course, as younger siblings are always want to do we look up to and follow in our, sometimes, uh, our older siblings' footsteps. So she was big into theater. I was like, that is also going to be what I do. 
And so I went to uh, Illinois State University because uh, pe- people like John Malkovich and Gary Sinise and uh, Joan Allen and Laurie Metcalf and Sean Hayes and all these people came out yeah. of there. And Step- the Steppenwolf, which is um, one of America's premier uh, theaters in America, <laughs> in America uh, c- uh, came from Illinois State University. So I wanted to go there because I knew they had a tremendous acting program. I went there. I saw during freshman orientation. I saw two guys do an improv set, and I had never in my life seen improv. And from that moment, I was like, "That looks like the most fun thing in the world." I refuse to believe they made it up on the spot. And so, my freshman year uh, as a theater major, I signed up to audition for for improv. I made the first cuts. I made the second cuts, and then I was finally cast. And I was like, "This is uh, l- this is so much fun." And then from there, it just grew and grew until eventually when I moved to Chicago for theater, I eventually dropped doing theater. I dropped doing commercial and and TV acting and all that stuff. And I purely focused on improv because that's what brought me the most joy. And I think it all stems from growing up. I was always very awkward, very shy, very soft-spoken. I I never – being – uh, hyper Midwestern. I never want to take up much space. <laughs> I never want to. If I can go throughout my day without upsetting anyone, that's like a huge win for me. Improv gave me excuse to slip into s- another skin or another mindset sure. or another personality and take up more space and like really express myself. And and I've never. I know people may call bullshit on this, but I never ever felt the the need for like audience validation it's purely about connection between me and the other performers so to me it's pure like here's a sandbox here's a friend what can your imagination do in this moment and audience be damned um but it's always to me been about the collaboration and the connection and just being able to be like i'm comfortable in my skin playing this character i can say what i want i can I can make these weird, wild choices and let, and be super creative. And then once I get off stage, I can go back to being shy and soft spoken and and kind of uh, just taking in what others put out. So yeah, I mean, you just said s- so much that resonates. Um, and you've just, I mean, you basically just handed me my thesis statement on a silver platter, which I love. Um, <laughs> oh no, my silver platter! I need that back. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll I'll wash it for you first. Like, oh, you don't want me to? I told. I told Gemma Tupperware, <laughs> our good silver platter. I'm ruined. <laughs> Thanks, Gemma. Um, uh, well, I would say that, well, first of all, the, the biggest revelation that whole story gave me was just the sudden understanding that uh, being trans and being Midwestern are parallel experiences. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. It's just it's the same thing. It's discomfort in your skin. It's feeling uh-huh. a little bit like you're reserved, shy, pulled reserved, back. Reserved, shy. Yeah. You uh you have to <laughs> adhere how you know people yeah. want you to behave. Um I love what you said about uh the sandbox, the playfulness, the the kind of slipping out of your skin and making connections with people. Um yeah like a huge part of what is special about improv is just like such an emphasis on authenticity and community. Like I, yeah, I, I definitely I, had that experience too. When I was in high school was compared, I loved all the theater department mm-hmm. stuff that I did, but I remember the improv, like there was a sense of real closeness. That was very, because it was, there's a vulnerability and rawness to doing, going on a stage and you don't know what's going to happen and you yeah. have to trust you have to trust people so much in that environment, which I thought was really, I, I really loved that as a kid. 
Yeah, that is huge. I, I think the the uh, the authenticity is a byproduct of everyone's kind of commitment and vulnerability. Like, I feel like to truly, you can take improv and do improv for X amount of time and still be closed off and still be kind of rough at it and never kind of learn the lessons you're supposed to. But I feel like ultimately most people who stick with it or who come come at it initially from the right approach there's a huge, huge, huge amount of vulnerability. It's like yeah. we are we are uh, hearkening back to when we were kids and just playing pretend in the in the dirt in the front yard. And at this point, there's consequences. There's people may not find it funny. People may not support your idea of playing pretend. You know, if you say I'm an astronaut, somebody might say no, you're not. You know, so there is this huge amount of vulnerability that you're stepping into, and I think. When you embrace that, that is when I think the authenticity comes. That's when I think the the true vulnerability comes. So I, I think you have to kind of expose your your pink belly, and then and then once you realize your teammates aren't going to feast upon your <laughs> soft organs uh, to survive the winter, then I think it kind of all clicks, and you're just like, I trust these people. I would I feel like I can truly fly and do anything and I'll be supported and, and elevated and celebrated. Yeah, one thing that really resonated with me that you just said was the, it's almost like returning to child's play where yes, yeah. that sense of like you are with a right, friend yeah. and they're like I'm a dinosaur and they're like yeah. you'll scream and run and then you hit an age where you're not supposed to do that anymore and yeah. you're not supposed to play anymore. Tag and hide and seek and games are gone and yeah. then this is like bringing that childhood joy back and saying this shouldn't go away. Yeah, at at some point we feel like we have to stop p- pretending to be dinosaurs and sit on the couch with the adults and watch. Uh, I don't know, sixty minutes or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of uh, bullies that I encountered as a kid who was like, "Oh, you don't watch sixty minutes." Um, uh, Ari, I would say you and I had a conversation recently where you talked about. We talked about how you, in particular, you were a very kind of joyful. Um, very emotionally expressive and emotionally vulnerable kid and how a huge part of you losing that over the years had to do with sort of this constant feedback that you were getting from your peers and even some of the adults in your life that like you were stepping outside of the bounds of what was appropriate for your age and what was appropriate for being a a boy yeah oh especially that yeah you were being kind of taught over like over a series of small acute lessons that um you were not conforming enough to how you were supposed to be behaving and that that had this effect on you kind of closing off well like like many like many creative people and most podcast people i you know i had like a complicated relationship with my father who someone who growing up really put a lot of emphasis on like the danger of being too vulnerable and people will hurt you if you're too vulnerable so don't be vulnerable and that kind of fear right kind of that's what I think improv helped undo like un, like loosen the knot a little bit was being like no you have to go on a stage and not know what you're doing and you're going with a bunch of friends and you're being vulnerable and you're not only being vulnerable with these people but you're in front of an audience and if you care too much about that audience it's not it's not going to be the same kind of improv it's going to be performative and my first improv experiences were very yeah, performative. And you can't they were really like trying to be funny yeah. for the for the if crowd. You pan- right? If you turn into a little pander bear, the the audience will hate you for it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also something of like if you are, I've definitely been a part of shows and seen shows where it's like 
maybe a couple, maybe like two or three people are super vulnerable, and then maybe the other three or four are just like crossed arms, just like nope, not doing that. So you see these shows where like some people are vulnerable, vulnerable, and some are not. Some are closed off, and they're like, I'll just say witty, I'll say witticisms, and you play the dinosaur. And that'll be, and I'll be like, "Oh, look, a dinosaur!" And I'll be the everyman voice for the audience and and undermine what you're doing. Yeah, we had yeah. those. We had a lot of those in high school. The kind of looking at the audience and saying, "I mean, the audience, they're popular, but they're not popular yeah. kids." So the audience loves oh, really? it. I, in, in Chicago, that doesn't fly. <laughs> like it, the the whole concept of improv, the whole show crumbles if there's that half and half kind of thing, where the audience smells it out of like, yeah. "Wait a minute." The guy playing the dinosaur is doing something wrong, or the other guy is doing something wrong. Something's going wrong. I, I don't know why is she not stepping in. Why are they? Someone's yeah. embarrassed. Yes. Yeah. Someone's embarrassed. Should it be yeah. me? Oh, the worst thing is when the audience feels embarrassed on behalf of the improvisers because the improvisers don't look like they're having fun. They look like they're they they feel uncomfortable. Yeah. There's a little bit of tension with improv always because the audience knows you're making it up. Yeah. And that is part of the fun of it and the magic of it is that you know it's made up and they they bought a ticket to possibly see you fail (laughs) right (laughs) and they Um, they know that's a big part of it and and honestly like going to nascar yeah there's a part of short uh, schadenfreude where they're like maybe the wheels will come off and they'll fly into the audience and so the the trick is to sort of get close enough to that line where you are being you're taking risks that really could fail and the audience is feeling that but at the same time you don't want the audience to suddenly feel so much like things are about to go wrong that they like that they want to like grab the steering yeah. wheel away from you. Like you need them to trust you. And I it's, think it's that's anticipation where anticipation and excitement without anxiety. The anxiety level is when you've gone too far. Like a like a magic act or something where it's like the yeah. person goes in the box, the saw comes out and you're like that this is everything's going to be fine and then once they start cutting you're like wait a minute it's going to be fine, right? <laughs> and there's right, yeah. there's that moment of like, oh no, I could witness something truly terrible. <laughs> right. I think and I think there would be like a level of too far yeah. where if they if they started sawing and the, and the person screaming. was screaming yeah. and there was like was fake like, okay, blood, stop. there would be a point yeah, yeah. where the audience would be like, this is not fun for us actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sawing a person. And even if you're not, I feel like I feel like I'm watching it anyway. Yeah, it's yeah. like So I guess that's kind of brings up like where to, you know, why we did this on the podcast, right, Charlie? Like, kind of why we integrated it into a into an identity discussion. Yeah, well, uh, for me, it was absolutely that. I when I moved to Atlanta a couple years ago, I basically was fleeing um, a really bad personal situation that I had been in. I was more depressed and anxious and unsure of myself than I'd ever been in my life. And I was uh, still very much in the closet regarding gender. All I knew was that there was something I didn't like about myself um, and how people saw me and spoke to me. And um, I would say that finding improv, and I think this is probably true for everybody and also and maybe especially poignant for like, you know, like marginalized people who who do improv, which is that improv is giving yourself permission to just take space. Mm-hmm. Even more in some ways than like stand up where at the very least, like you've prepared an act and there's like a sense that you have um, that there's like a talent that you're relying on. That's like, oh, you've pre-written this, you've tested it out maybe. 
but with You've improv, seen like, it not work, and now you know how to make it work. Right. right. But with improv, there's you are literally going on stage, and you are saying, like, just me and what I bring into a room everywhere I go is enough yeah. to build a show that, like, at some point, audiences might even – it might even be worth them paying to see. And, and even if you're not performing in front of an audience, like you're saying, like you are, it is worth the time and attention to sort of, for you to be there and to be contributing. And to me, that is actually incredibly empowering in a way I didn't even realize at the time, but I had been in a situation before coming to Atlanta where I was constantly made to feel as though my voice was annoying and what and my perspective was like wrong and the the best method of survival was to basically um retreat to say to say yes without and like <laughs> to just agree but without contributing, contributing any of yeah. my own ideas or or personality and it really eroded my sense of self and i would say that improv starting to take improv was like largely responsible for like making me feel like oh i'm not a ghost i have a body and a yeah. voice yeah um and so yeah when we d decided to do this podcast ari like it was very much like it was always going to be an improv show. Well, I think one thing that Adel mentioned that I think is really resonates with this is that we talked <laughs> in a Patreon episode that you can access at our Patreon. Look at me go. Uh, we talked about our bucket list, <laughs> our bucket list of things that we want to do. We talked about like, a lot of experiences we missed. And in a way, I feel like improv provides a space where you get to have that child's play back, but as the you that exists now. Because as a kid, you didn't get to be that kid. That kid that I wish I could have been, I wasn't during that time. And now I get to have that same space, but as myself. And I get yeah. to reinvent it, right? It's like almost like going back to that child play. Well, Adol, let me ask you, like, do you have any particularly poignant moments or fond memories of, like, a show or a scene or a character that sort of gave you something that like you took with you like beyond just the sort of abstract like oh it, it gave you permission to like uh be playful and to speak your mind like do you have any you know you don't have to but if yeah. you had any like particular things that you feel like you took with you from from doing a show or or a moment with someone yeah i well i think that overall i think the the coolest thing that happened i don't know if i can pinpoint an exact moment or scene or show or anything but I remember, you know, when I was... That's fine. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah. Um, but uh, what was I saying? Oh, uh, there, was a, there was a time where I was still uh, new to improv, where I was still getting nervous before shows, where I was still doubting myself on stage and stuff. And I feel like at some point there was a certain click where it was just like, there are no rules. There are no wrong answers. Anything... Even even if I quote unquote mess up, that can be woven into something beautiful. That that mistake in the tapestry can become a unique, uh, bespoke, um, one of a kind tapestry if we if we sew it right. You know, if we if we if we agree that it's just all part of the pattern. So I feel like there was just a really cool moment where I realized it, it, it's basically you're basically learning reflexes with something like stand up. You're you're presenting a finished product that's been 
polished and curated and and rehearsed with improv you're developing and uh, hopefully eventually perfecting like reflexes it's almost like i mean i have no (laughs) training or no but it's almost like martial arts where it's like you are you know you know people always ask me or make fun of like how do you rehearse for improv how do you practice improv and it's like well you're not practicing what you'll say you're not practicing characters you're practicing and flexing muscles and reflexes Mm -hmm. until eventually it becomes second nature so to me when those when those reflexes to say yes and when those reflexes to support when those reflexes to come from a place of curiosity and have emotional depth um when all those things found the place that to me was like this magical moment of like my my armpits would stop sweating like i wasn't super nervous so (laughs) i think it's just really it's a beautiful thing to be able to find that moment for me it was very very impactful and very powerful and then even as much as that was cool on stage it also translated off stage it translated to the rest of my life where when i talk to people hopefully most of the time i'm not i'm not it's not 100 hit rate but i come from a place of curiosity i come from a place of wanting to connect with them any conversation i start i'm like i can't wait to find common ground i can't wait to connect with you i can't wait to collaborate with you versus i think what a lot of America is right now is like I can't wait to disagree with you. I can't wait to bring up my point. I can't wait for you to for your mouth to stop moving so I can launch into whatever shit I've been sitting on for three minutes. Uh, it's the listening, know, that, yeah, the listening. It's a listening thing. It's listening to understand versus listening to respond. Right. Most people in life listen to respond. Once you shut up, I will start talking. But I think improv really, really drives home listening to understand. So yeah, I think that overall feeling is is probably the most impactful thing for me. Um, and again, carrying that off stage, not just not just within the art. Well, and I would say that that that's what we want this show to be. You know, yeah. like I mean, Ari and I are. I mean, right now we're just mostly just doing the show for us and for the people in our lives who um, I think are really a. You know, I I was a little tongue in cheek about them making fun of us for the improv, but our some of that has come from like them wanting us to wanting the conversation part of the show to be longer than it is because they're genuinely appreciating getting this look at uh, what is sort of going on with us right now. And I think that's really valuable kind of in itself. And the way that I want to approach this, because like I, you know, Ari and I are, we only recently came out we're not experts in queer theory and gender studies. Um, we're not even experts in ourselves, really. <laughs> um, so, like, what we really wanted was we wanted this sh- this show to kind of be exactly what you just described, taking these principles that improv teaches you and applying them to co- this conversation. Because if Ari and I can just be um, authentically ourselves and be genuinely curious about ourselves yeah. and about one another yeah. and about anybody who uh, stumbles into our orbit. And um, <laughs> I can't stop rotating around the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but your mic technique is is, is uh, fantastic. Flawless. Cactus technique, please. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry <cactus. laughs> uh, I will say I, I thought. Uh, um, that that's all wonderful, and, and uh, by the way, congratulations to the two of you to to, to uh, your recent you know uh, coming out and and full expression, and I think that's fantastic. So congratulations! Thank you so um, much. 
something I, I thought of, which uh, which kind of pertains to what you were asking me, was there was a moment in a scene. This must have been 15 years ago or something. But I was doing a scene during a show called The Mixer. And what The Mixer is in Chicago is you get people who – I was one of the hosts of it, where you get people who, are, who have been doing improv for a while. They play on stage, and then anybody in the world who wants to play comes on stage and plays. So you, you basically it turns into like 50, 60 people. You make five or six 10-person teams, and everybody gets to play who wants to play. And I was doing one of those, and it's always very tricky because you get people who are just like, I'm 65, and I'm people tell me I'm funny at work, and so I'm here to, to be funny, you know? So you get people who are uh, – um, they have zero technique. They have zero knowledge about it, but they still have passion, and that's, that's fun. But I was doing a scene where uh, I came out, somebody joined me, and the person hadn't said anything all show. So I was kind of waiting for them to initiate, and they didn't initiate. So I was like, well, let me give them something. So I said something of like, I took a deep breath, and I go, ah, this mountain air is just so rejuvenating. And the person looked at me and goes, we're not on a mountain. And there, and I paused for a moment of like, oh, no, here we go. Here's the <laughs> <laughs> yes. here's, here's the nightmare you, scenario. Here, yes, the improviser's <laughs> nightmare. Here's everything that could go wrong is going wrong right off the bat. I'm like, oh, no, why did I do this? And then I took, I just paused for a second and was like calm about it. And I go, uh, oh, no, no, uh, Mikey, you're right. I'm just thinking about yesterday when we hiked that mountain. It was just so, I feel like I'm still there. And when I supported his no, like he had said straight up, like, you're insane. We're not here. Wherever you say we are, we're not. When I stopped and supported him versus continuing my own agenda versus continuing to be like no we are on a mountain look down you know when i just said no you're right i'm just i'm so elated from that experience i feel like i'm still there there was like a spark in his eyes and he was like yeah it was amazing Aww. it was so cool and he suddenly was super talkative super engaged kept giving me gifts kept supporting my ideas and all it took was that one moment of me being like i said something he said absolutely not he smacked the dinner plate out of my hand and I said yes you're right I do want to eat off the floor and he was like oh wait let me drop my food too and I will also eat off the floor and look we're two little piggies in a trough I think it says something about how desperate we are as people for that kind of like support and listening that yeah. like just you supporting this person's idea and listening to him like was so transformative for him. This yeah. one yeah. moment, this one, t like, it, like he was so prepared for an interaction with you that was going to be like a competition of who could just say yes. like the funniest thing. <laughs> yeah, and he then, wanted a conflict. Yeah, yeah, and and just like it instant, like he like there was a part of him clearly that was craving that kind of like warm, supportive, collaborative. Yeah feeling yeah i've always um, heard the hardest kind of improv scenes to do when you're a newbie are ones where you two are just getting along having a good time because people tend to go gravitate towards immediate conflict yeah when they're new to improv because they think that's the only way to get a creative scene is to be fighting about something yes yeah there's something to um the idea of with yes and i think a lot of people mistake what yes and means and all it is is like i'm agreeing to what you just said i'm agreeing to the situation i'm agreeing to the reality and I'm going to add something to it, like a good conversationalist, right? If you said, mm -hmm. uh, oh, I just went to uh, Thailand, the other person will not say, cool, right? A good conversation would be like, where did you go? Even if you have been before, you wouldn't just be like, 
uh, oh, I've been, let me tell you all the places I went. You would be like, oh, did you get to see this? What was your favorite parts? And then I'll tell you, you know. So I yes, think, yes, and not yes anyway. Yes. So <laughs> yes. I've seen, I mean, one of the better scenes I've ever seen was <laughs> uh, was a, a babysitter and, a, and a, a, somebody was playing a babysitter, somebody was playing a child. And the child was like, I want to stay up till midnight. And the babysitter was like, I can't let you do that. Your parents told me you can't stay up past 10, so um, I can't let you do that. But they didn't end it with that. They said, can I ask, why do you want to stay up? What do you think happens between 10 and midnight? And the kid went on this fantastic, the, the improviser playing a kid, went on this fantastical tear of like, I think at the stroke of midnight this happens. And like Santa comes down the chimney, even though he's not bringing presents, he still comes to houses because he has nowhere to stay. And, and so he went on this whole tear <laughs> and the babysitter was right there with them like being like, oh, cool. And then, oh, I could see where you thought this. This is actually that. You thought this was that. This is the reality of it. So the babysitter was was saying, no, you can't stay up. But they were just trying to get to the root of like. What, what what is your want? What is why do you have the intent that you have? So a good scene can be no, can be the person literally saying no, you cannot do this. But the yes and comes from them being like, I agree to the reality that I'm the babysitter and you're the child. I agree to reality where you can't stay up. And sometimes those are the most beautiful scenes is is when there is a verbal no, but the intent the 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 subtext of it is yes and. Right. Well, and sometimes responding from an honest place requires a no. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, this is something that I definitely saw sometimes with like beginning classes where like sometimes there was a tendency I noticed amongst like men to initiate scenes with women that were almost always explicitly like a date or yeah. something kind of sexual and it could be like like the intentions aren't necessarily bad but it could be weird yes and doesn't mean you have like if a guy comes onto stage and says to you like you know hey like it's time to get freaky like saying yes and does not have to mean you you are now down to fuck this man in this improv scene <laughs> yeah. it can yeah, in fact no, God, if no. you feel uncomfortable yes and can be like actually i'm just not interested in that yeah. um you know, I I think I'm gonna go home. Thank you for the Italian food yeah. or whatever. And like that this is a date, this date was interesting, and now you've cre- you agreed to the reality that there was a date. Yeah, and it's over. Yeah, oh. I love that. You should abs- There's you should never ever ever feel boxed in or cornered or yeah, put in a position where it's like I, I have to say yes to exactly what they said, or else I'm being a bad improviser. I love that. Yeah, you should always. Take care of yourself. You should always protect yourself. And there's always there is I cannot think of a moment where there's not like a workaround of like, Charlie, even when you said, like, let's get freaky. I feel like, you know, in my mind's eye, the person could be like, absolutely. And then be like, I'm a little goblin who lives in the ceiling. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then and then the, the person who initiated can either no be like, time than Halloween night. Yeah. To freaky. <laughs> the person who initiated and said, let's get freaky can either support that and be like, that's yes, this is super fun. Now I'm a goblin or monster. Or if they say, like, that's not what I meant, the person can be like, oh, well, that's that's what it means to get freaky for me. Like, if you're not up for this, then I'll just go home. And, of course, they're going to be like, wait, 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 no, 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 we can do that. Like, so Yeah, I, this meetup is not yeah. what I thought it was. You said we're going to get freaky, I assumed. It's, yeah. it's Halloween, baby. Yeah, so there, I feel like there's almost always some sort of um, – a, a compromise is maybe the wrong word, but some sort of avenue to protect yourself while also – uh, honoring some part of their idea, but ultimately, I mean, I should say, 
if you if you find yourself with a person where you have to keep justifying and keep <laughs> keep finding alternate routes, you should probably stop playing with that person or have a conversation with them to be like, hey, what is <laughs> what's going on? What is what's your deal? Um, so I'm not I'm not saying. I'm not saying you need to find out how to play with <laughs> terrible people. I'm saying, yeah, I, I'm saying <laughs> accidents happen, things get said, people, you know, it's imp- it's improv. Anything can be said, but if it's a if it's a problem, time and time again, uh, st- uh, stop playing with that person. Yeah, because there's, like, there's a fear. There needs to be a again a vulnerability and yeah. a fearlessness that comes with improv, and that comes with safety. And you won't ever get that necessarily. Like the first time you play with a group of people, there's going to be a that's what practice is for. You get to know them and. You find this common ground. The more experienced you are, the more you can do it with a new person and yeah. find that. Yep. Um, I'm experiencing an audio issue. Oh, yeah. Oh. Please. Can you guys can... hear me right now? Yes. I can hear you. I can hear you. I can't hear you. Pop, pop. Weird. One second. Sorry. One second. No, not at all. We'll never see Charlie again. Yeah, that's the end. That's their, that's uh, their polite know, exit. This is when Charlie gets abducted yeah. by the spaceship and <laughs> so begins the end of the, the, the war. Yeah, classic. Happens every time. Yeah, I always I feel like um, the best improvisers I know are people who can play with anyone, like truly anyone, and and like make even, them look yeah, great. That's something I really want to work towards is because I've only ever done like you know these small group like classes, and then yeah. a lot of improv with individuals that I know is I want to kind of get more into like the mixers and the community sort of aspect of it because yes. I love the jumping in the deep end like. Experienced improvisers can just play anywhere, and that's just cool to me. I think it's a very yeah. You have to yeah. There's uh, to some degree you have to be forged by the fire. So I love that idea of like I want to jump in to the deep end, you know, and be like <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna fall and learn how to land on the way down. I think that that yeah. a, that approach is really wonderful. If you have the if you have the sort of constitution for it, it's a wonderful wonderful approach. When I when I moved, when I moved to Atlanta, I wasn't originally doing it to do improv. I just kind of wanted to travel somewhere, and I'd done improv in high school, but I hadn't done it since. It was like three years prior, and we moved to Atlanta, and Charlie joined an improv like an improv group there, and I went to see their show. And the second I watched the show, I went to Charlie afterward and said, "Okay, I need to get back into improv. Yeah, I miss this so bad. Oh my god. Yeah. See, so we we joined a crew that was wonderful. That's fantastic. Part of what kind of led to this podcast was I would go over to her house. And she and I would stand in the living room, just the two of us, and we'd do improv for like two hours. <laughs> That's amazing. Pra- like it's That's and that so was fun. I think that was that was transformative for me. Yeah. Was the second you took the audience away and I was like, Oh, this isn't change this shouldn't change anything. This is really fun. Yeah. Um I love that you just saw a show and that kindled the excitement again to be like, I want to get back in this. Cause so many one thing I, I dislike about uh how improv is perceived is I feel like a lot of people will go see an improv show. And it will be a little rough. It'll be a little... Oh, let's stop here and check in with Charlie. Hello. Welcome back. Hello. Um, We're now doing it from a cell phone. I don't (laughs) know what is going on. But um, This is the beginning of what leads to the start of the podcast. Like, the disaster begins a war. I don't know what's happening to you. Oh, my gosh. Because now I have to uh, replicate, you know... uh, Adel steam powered technology. <laughs> and oh that my is, god! Is of course what propels us into the the, mm-hmm. the steampunk dystopia. Ow! 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 I keep leaning in. <laughs> I keep leaning in too far. Oh, I was gonna say. Um, my, my my mic is bleeding. Wait, no, that's me. <laughs> I was gonna say. I think there's something there's something frustrating about improv or the way it's perceived in that a lot of people will go see one improv show. I know so many people, friends, college friends, uh, family members. So many people who have gone to see an improv show, and it just so happens 
the theater they went to wasn't great or the show they went to wasn't great or the show uh, was great, but they had an off night. And so the people never go back to see improv. So it's like they've seen one show, they've made up their mind. And it's to me, it's so unfair and so frustrating of like, I wouldn't go to like the Metro here in Chicago, see a band I've never heard of, listen to their music and then walk out being like, ah, I saw music. It sucks. <laughs> I'm not a fan of music yeah. anymore. Yeah. I would not going to get into it. Yes. I wouldn't be like, turns out music is pretty bad. And people would be like, why do you think that? Well, I saw this one band, you know, I've seen enough good improv where I'm like, there is such good improv out there. There's, there, there's an embarrassment of riches in terms of the talent. And if you see a good improv show, that will flip on a switch in your brain for good, where you'll just be chasing that first experience and and hopefully find it. Well, um, speaking of yeah, speaking of speaking, speaking of, of fun, speaking of knocking it out of the park with great improv, um, uh, I would love to just do uh, a little bit of improv now. Uh, we'll try to keep this. Uh, we'll try to keep this Is nice it? and nice and lean. Um, maybe just a scene. Um, but uh, I, it would just be honestly like literally a bucket list thing to do it in with Adol <laughs> Revi. So I love, yeah. Let's make this like Jack Spratt's wife. It's as lean as possible. Or no, she yes. couldn't. She couldn't eat lean, which I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> that that feels like a fad diet. Jack Spratt, your wife is on a fad diet. Yeah, you you should do you should do a little research, Jack. Uh, a lot of these diets are actually pretty dangerous. Yeah. They don't work. <laughs> um, uh, ma'am, here's your steak. Um, I actually can't eat lean. <laughs> please, ma'am, I'm begging you. Tell me what that is. I will make accommodations. Just please. I just don't understand. The I'm kitchen sorry. is so confused. Whoa! Whoa there, boy. Whoa there, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey. Shh. It's okay. You've done good. You've done good. We can we can rest. Oh, oh, hello there. Uh, does your horse need some water or some oats? Hey, don't don't come any closer. Oh. All right, this is the desert has made me into a into a hard man indeed. Oh, it's it's okay. Calm down and put down those six shooters. Uh, I know I must look terrifying. Uh, I must be a intimidating outline in the desert night, but trust me, I'm a I'm a friend. Step a little closer to this fire so I can make out some details. Okay. Uh, well, I'm not. Just so you know, I'm not going to burn myself, but I'll step towards the fire. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's fine. Just a yeah, little no, closer no, to the yeah, fire. I, no, we're saying the same thing. I, we both, we don't want me to get burned is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, that was definitely, certainly not my intention. Good, 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 because your fire's a little weak. No, no, uh, no judgment. I'm just saying I've never seen a fire so weak. Let me, all right, let me bend down here, put my face near the dying embers here. Oh, it's getting a little warm, but I can maintain this position. Closer. Yes. Just a little closer. Yes. Ah, hello there, you two. What are you oh. doing out here so late at night? Hey, oh, hey, well, what are put you? Down. You're, you're coming from all, all sorts of directions. Can't a man just walk down the path at night without getting a gun pointed at his face? They told me, they told me that there was a bounty on my head, but I didn't know they'd catch up to me so quickly. Well, from where I'm standing, it looks like just a hat. <laughs> Sorry, a little desert <laughs> humor. I like this guy. There, this guy's charming. Yeah, there's no bounty on your head, just a hat. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't talked to anyone in 32 years. I, uh, I walked down this path late at night. I've never seen you two around here before. Wait, you walked well, down this path? From the east? From the east, yes. 
Where where do you live? I live about uh, 17.2 miles as the crow flies down by the gold mine. Ah, by the gold mine, you say? I passed by there on my evening walks. I never thought someone lived down there. Thought it was abandoned ever since the Great Collapse. Oh, you're telling me for 32 years I've been narrowly missing you on a path to where we could have been best friends this whole time? Well, that's just tragic. Oh, that is tragic. You know what? Take out your six shooters. Strike me dead. Shoot me down. Uh, no, he doesn't, he doesn't actually mean it. He doesn't actually no, mean it. No, I mean it. I am so... Uh, I could have had a friend all these years, and just by happenstance, just by timing, I missed... How, how, what, what's the opposite of fortuitous? What's the opposite of serendipity? That's what I... Shoot me. Shoot me. All right, you caught me. You, you've guessed it all, haven't you? Yes, I'm the one who collapsed the gold mine. Yes, I'm the one who took all the gold. And yes, I've the one, I'm the one who's been extinguishing all of the torches along this road so that I might pass through darkness, which has- I was wondering why this fire was so weak. Which has led, which has directly led to both of your constant isolation out here in the desert. Yes, it was me all along. Ah, dagnamit, I am- I want to be angry. I want to be angry. But I just can't. You know, it's been so long, I just can't do it. I've, Hard to I've, get mad at someone when you finally, you're just happy to meet someone finally. Yeah. I've, I forgive you. What's your name, stranger? <sighs> My name, Gold, Gold Stealing Jack. Okay, clearly made up, but. There's no way your parents named you Gold Stealing. <laughs> Set you down a bad path. You can't, I've always said, you can't give yourself a nickname. But I mean, then again, my name is my name is Lonely Dan, so <laughs> it can happen. My name's Tired Tim. You seem pretty energetic to me so far. Yeah, I mean, it's sarcastic. Like, you know, like when you go to school with someone and they call them tiny, but they're like 6'10". Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. funny because it's not true. It's, yes, it's ironic. Well, what news of the world do you bring, gold stealing... Gold, what was it? Gold stealing... Gold stealing Jack. Gold stealing gold Jack, because I steal gold. And my wife... Can steal no lean. I don't. I don't know. Like a lean to, like put a lean on someone's house. Is that what? Yeah, I don't understand what that means. Yeah. Well, anyway, can I just say, clearly, your saddle, all your teeth, your hat, your overcoat, your guns are clearly all pressed from gold. So, just so you know, uh, you know, if you happen to run into a U.S. marshal, which we are not, we would have to say if we were, this is not entrapment. Never seen a marshal in my life. You might want to uh, cover those things in some dirt to make them shine a little less. <laughs> oh, and your horse I've... is gold, too. <laughs> Can I say how insane it is that you are pushing what has to be a 68,000-pound gold horse through the desert pretending you're riding it? <laughs> That is the saddest thing I've ever seen. You're pressing seen. this horse in the desert. What's his name? My my horse's name? Yes. Yeah, Gold. the horse you push the, the horse you push in the desert. Gold stealing. Uh, here we go. Jack. Uh, clearly, now now son, clearly at some point in town, you passed a wanted poster that said wanted Jack for gold stealing, and that glommed onto your brain so hard that you cannot separate yourself from this identity you think you have. Fine, I admit it. I admit it. I'm not. I didn't steal that gold. I didn't collapse that mine. But yeah, that was like that was like 40 years ago, and you're not even thinking 40. I am the man who burned down the cotton factory in town, and oh. I'm also the one who held up those that's banks. And uh, that's that's all me. So I'm still I'm still a fearless well, outlaw. See, gold, gold stealing is charming, but arson—that's just that's just wicked. That's wicked. You've lost a lot of your charm there, arson, Jack. 
Oh, Arson Jack, that has AJ. You have a, it's a real ring to it. Lonesome Dan, that is a good name. <laughs> that's 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 and that's who I am, baby. That's that's not going to imply that you're going to commit more arson now to live up to your namesake, right? I didn't just make like a really bad <laughs> decision for you. Yes, yes, you didn't. No, 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 not at all, not at all. Because I'm definitely Arson Jack. I didn't just. I'm not just someone who sees wanted posters and desperately wants to make a name for myself and so constantly pretends that I've committed all sorts of crimes when mm. I'm really just a sad man with a horse made out of wood that I've spray painted. Oh, it's not even pure gold. Oh, that's oh. that's a sad. Listen, I can tell your canteen is weighing down your belt. Clearly it's full of gold. Would you like some of my water? Sit down for a spell and have a sip. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh-huh. Do not don't come any closer. Don't. You know something? You know something, Jack? You're a lonely man, and you're you're out here just like the two of us. We know. We are uh, me and uh, tire. Was it tired Tim? Uh, yes, tired Tim. And my wife is a rattlesnake. <laughs> tired, tired Tim, and uh, and I, I we've you know wandering these lands for thirty years, never once ran into each other. I'm trying to get the sense that you're also a very lonely man, and you just want you just want to make a name for yourself. Sit down. Sit down. It's, just, yeah, sit down. it's so hard. It's so hard in the desert to. Yes. To make a name, there there isn't even information. It's all it's all spread through word of mouth. No, and I, I've been there, friend. Listen, I used to rob banks. I used to I used to burn down factories. You know what they called me? The middle aged kid. Oh, that's oh. that's the name they gave me. And that day, the minute I saw my wanted poster with was it said middle aged kid, and it was a it was my likeness, but it was from above to where you could see the horseshoe of my hair, the balding pattern. Oh, like it was a bad angle. Yeah, and I said from that day forward, I said I will never rob again. I'm gonna go seclude myself in the desert. I'm going to atone for my sins, and I'm hopefully gonna meet a friend. You know, so I, I mean, I've been there. I, you're looking at a future you. Wait. Future me. Wait a minute. You kind of look exactly what like is, me. You two look. You two look a lot alike. Wait. That scar. That scar on your wrist. You have the same scar on your wrist. I. I. I received. I received it. I received. I received it. I received it from in, in to the, <laughs> to. I received it into. Yes. <laughs> yes. Too many bar fights. Bar fights. <laughs> A series of cumulative bar fights that yes. all continued to re-injure my wait, wrist. Wait, wait, wait. Yes. You said you burned down the cotton factory, yes? That <sighs> cotton factory burned out 80 years ago. Oh. What time you say you're from, son? What time you from, son? <laughs> Who's the current U.S. president? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Washington. Okay. Yesterday. It was the first day of America. <laughs> Okay. Checks I, out. I, checks I, out so far. Who's the worst so far Pinkerton? The same page. <laughs> <laughs> ah, a rattlesnake! Bang! No. Bang! Bang! No, my wife! No, Claire! Claire! Oh. No! She's dead. Now the tragic truth is, one day you will meet her, else they can fall in love, knowing the whole time that she will die at this very spot. Oh, oh no! And yet, I think I will still make the same choices. Wow. And I think even knowing even knowing what 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 future awaits me I'm going to fall in love with that snake and I'm going to enjoy every second of our time together. Can I give you a piece of advice before you head on your trail, AJ? Please. In 2 years or over the course of the next 32 years, when you head out on the path from the gold mine, go 20 minutes earlier. Maybe you'll bump into a friend.
dissolves into smoke. <laughs> he was the fire. <laughs> I think you've been out in the desert too long, son. But you to be clear, you're just a guy, right? I'm you're, just a guy. I just walk down the path every day. I'm, so, I'm going to keep doing it. Hey, that means I we met my habits. That means we met 20 years early. 20 years of friendship that my future self didn't have. Let's go get a drink sometime. Hey friend, and by the fire way, friend, real fire. Friend, hey friend, wake up, friend. Huh. Hey, hey, sorry, I, I work at the bank here. Um, I saw you from outside the door. It looks like you were about to pull out your guns and then you passed out. Are you okay? I had the most amazing dream, and you were there. Oh, and and you were there. Me? Yes. And by the way, may I say that is a that is a beautiful rattle you have. Oh, thank you. It's my wife. <laughs> no! <laughs> wakes up. Wakes up. <laughs> <laughs> wakes up again in the sun. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, that was great. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That was that was a lot of fun. You know, it's 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 always hard harder to do improv when you're when you're nervous about it. You know. With, oh, of with, course. I'm very glad that that you guys figured out all of that stuff about being friends because i feel like i had like a solid 30 seconds where i was like i don't know what my fucking deal is in this scene i don't know who i am what the fuck is this i uh yeah. i had a good minute where i was like am i gonna be a horse the whole time i'm gonna go with that i just want to make sure yeah i think there's something one it's always it's always interesting when you improvise with new people because you just don't like a i mean like a new dance partner or something you just don't know what's coming next or where they're going but i think ultimately you have the same goal so it's really fun to kind of explore and figure out how we all work together and then two i want to mention just something <laughs> not just to like protect my own ass but i feel like there's something um that a lot of people don't understand about improv which is like charlie when you did that great thing of like i think we said like what's your name or something like that you did that great thing where you go uh my name is gold stealing jack you know um when someone when, when an improviser does that they're telling you i'm making up the name right so i feel yeah. like i feel like i've been a part of scenes sometimes where the person's like oh they gave a name you talk about not denying when they gave your, their name you denied them and said like oh that's clearly not your name but what charlie was indicating was i'm searching for a made-up name right so if charlie had said my name's gold stealing jack right i would never in a million years be like no it's not or clearly that's made up but because charlie g gave that great gift of uh my name it's my name? Uh, right oh yeah yeah. That? yeah yeah so i just want to separate the the denial versus support because i think some people sometimes don't realize when someone says something a certain way you have to read the subtext, not just take it for, take it for face value. Gosh, well, this has been just—it's a dream come true. Um, I was a pretty early listener to Magic Tavern, and oh, thank this you is, so much. Thank you for you, coming on. Anytime. It was—it was very nice to like you know because you you hear people on a podcast for years, you're like, I think I have a sense of this guy. He seems very nice. He seems very generous with his time, his energy, and his vulnerability. And it's such a relief when it's actually true. When, <laughs> when I when I first emailed you and you're like, yeah, hey, I would love to come on. It was yeah. just like, oh, what? Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that that. <laughs> what a nice, what a nice person. <laughs> yeah. This um, is Adel's but... agent. Twenty five grand up front. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> no. You suck. I think that this is a very good um, example, kind of, of what this show is trying to do, which is we 
we understand when we, we started this podcast, we knew people were going to ask why improv, why mm -hmm. are you doing both? Why are you combine these two things? Why don't you do them separately? And at the end of the day, like we didn't fully have the answer in our heads other than knowing that it felt right. And I feel like like an improv scene, we've discovered the, tr the under we've understand an emotional sense why it had to be the way it is. Yeah. So, so get off my back, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I, we explained it. We did it. We've justified the show, so you can just be proud of me. Oh, um, th this is the portion where we do that. Give me a oh, call yeah, yeah. back, so, Dad. The call out, the call out, blame part. Yeah. Um, Adol, do you have anything uh, that you would like um, our meager yet dedicated audience to know about? Yeah. Any projects. Meager yet dedicated. You just described Jean Valjean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone, uh, oh, you should check out, I do two podcasts, um, the aforementioned Hello from the Magic Tavern, which is kind of an improvised fantasy podcast, guy falls into a magical world and just kind of interviews the creatures and they, they have some fun, uh, and then the other podcast I do is called Hey Riddle Riddle, and it's me and two friends and we try and solve puzzles, lateral thinking problems, riddles, and along the way we do improvised scenes, um, because most riddles are bad and we kind of make fun of them. And then I would also say, when things are safe, when things things uh, feel uh, appropriate and proper go see a local improv show i think it's a wonderful thing to support and um i think you know eventually you will see the show that will hopefully change your life get you interested in classes or just get you interested as a fan of improv and if that is not a great call to action to end this sucker on i don't know what is so uh <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much Adol. Uh, thank you ari ari thank you as always thank you. Um, for Thank you for having me, as you do every episode. <laughs> I will have an appearance fee from now on. I've learned a couple things. <laughs> God damn it. I've learned my value. I, I always... wanted you to become empowered, but not this empowered. <laughs> I will always refer to Ari now as Lonesome Dan. <laughs> Lonesome Dan. All right, well, thank you so much, and thank you all for tuning in to this episode. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Yes Androgyny was conceived, recorded, and produced by Ari Noble and myself, Charlie Monroe. If you want more content or you care to support the show, we can be found at patreon.com slash yesandrogyny, where we will be posting an extra episode of bonus content, plus other fun surprises at least every off week. This show is co-produced by New32 Productions, an independent North Carolina media company that Ari and I are both heavily involved with. You can find New32 on YouTube at youtube.com slash new32, that's N-E-W-3-2. Our music was composed by Florify, F-L-O-R-R-I-F-Y, whose link tree can be found in the episode description. Our theme song is Riff in A by Garrett Stein Sarusi, who plays the guitar on the track, with additional arrangement, instrumentation, and mastering also by Florify. Our cover art is by the inimitable Izzy Pereira, who can be found on Twitter at Izzy Squeaksy. That is I-Z-Z-Y-S-Q-U-E-A-K-Z-Y. Lastly but not leastly, Ari can be found on Twitter at Ari Noble Writes where they post about their myriad music and webcomic writing projects, including their epic fantasy adventure webcomic in the vein of Redwall. They co-created it with our cover artist Izzy, and it is posted weekly. So definitely check that out. It's super rad. Thank you guys so much for listening. That concludes the credits. See you in two weeks. <laughs>
or sooner if you join our Patreon. Bye!